Hello and welcome to Servant's Heart Chapel. I am Pastor Daryl, and I hope today's episode is a special blessing to you. Before I begin my sermon on the resurrection of Christ, I felt it was important to take a look at how our perception of death has changed over the past 2,000 years. Aurelius Augustinus, who who we know as St. Augustine or Augustine of Hippo or just Augustine, was born in 354 and, and wrote a book titled Confessions. In it, he wrote about his struggles with grief when his mother passed away. His friends told him he should not shed tears. That's unchristian. Yet, he felt the pain of loss in spite of how he thought he should feel. Early Christians had a very strong opinion of how one should act at a funeral. It was a time for rejoicing, and they shouldn't mourn like the pagans do. In fact, for a long time, Christians wore all white to funerals. Around 200 AD, Tertullian wrote, Since then there is certainty as to the resurrection of the dead, grief for death is needless. For why should you grieve if you believe that your loved ones has not perished? Why would early Christians feel so strongly about this? In order to answer that question, we have to look at what first century people thought about death. We look at the hope we have in Christ as a simple matter of fact. In fact, even those, those who don't believe in Jesus think, well, they're, unless they're outright atheists, they think, oh yeah, there's something out there after death. We, we take it, as Christians, we take it for granted that if we put our faith in Christ, we will live. We take it as a normal aspect of our lives, but it was not always so. The pagans of the time believed death was final, and the few who believed in an afterlife thought it to be only a shadow of reality. Not all Jewish people believed in life after death, A large group called the Sadducees believed that once you died, that was it. The rest believed in a resurrection, but only at the end of the world, and there was no guarantee that you'd be so lucky. All felt the terrible sting of death, and all lost to the grave. Then Jesus happened. It was such a shock, the disciples could not comprehend it, even as Jesus was explaining it to them in simple terms, what was going to happen to him. And don't be hard on them. We would have done the exact same thing. The resurrection was shocking. We say, he is risen at Easter. A lot of churches do that. But for hundreds of years, he has risen was a greeting between Christians. Why? Because this fact that Christ rose from the dead was a life-changing news for them. This completely rocked their world, but it is still life-changing. 
but we've gotten used to it. Over the past 2,000 years, we've gotten used to this new truth, and death has been without its sting for so long, we don't feel the danger. We become complacent. So may the Lord help us to, to comprehend the, the shocking and wonderful truth that Jesus is alive. As I was preparing for today's sermon, I came across a sermon uh, given by the Prince of Preachers, Charles Spurgeon. And I thought, as I read this, I thought, you know, it's too good to be lost in history, never to be shared again. So I've taken the main points of his sermon as the basis for mine. If you'll turn me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 16. Beginning with verse 1. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so they could go and anoint him. Very early in the morning on the first day of the week, they went to the tomb at sunrise. They were saying to one another, Who will roll the stone from the entrance to the tomb for us? Looking up, they observed that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. When they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a long white robe sitting on the right side. They were amazed and alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he told them. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who is crucified. He has been resurrected. He is not here. See the place where they put him? But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you. So they went and started running from the tomb because trembling and astonishment overwhelmed them. They said nothing to anyone since they were afraid. Early on, the very first day of the week after he had risen, he appeared to first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had driven seven demons. He went and reported to those who had been with him as they were mourning and weeping. Yet when they heard he was alive and had been seen by her, they didn't believe it. Then after this, he appeared in a different form to two of them walking on their way to the country. They went and reported to the rest who did not believe them either. Later he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclined at a table. He rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who saw him after he had been resurrected. Then he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe my, in my name. They'll drive out demons, they'll speak in new languages, they'll pick up snakes. And if they should drink anything deadly, it will never harm them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will get well. Then after speaking to them, Jesus was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word by the accompanying signs. Our verse 4 our today is 6. Don't be alarmed, we told them, you're looking for Jesus, the Nazarene who is crucified. He has been resurrected. He is not here. 
He has risen. Our Lord always told his disciples that he would die and come back to life, but they never got it until it happened. We can't be too hard on them. They believed he was the Messiah, but misunderstood what that meant. Reality was so far from their expectations that they just couldn't wrap their heads around it. In fact, if we take a look at Matthew chapter 16, real quick. Matthew chapter 16, verses 21 and 22. From then on, Jesus began to point out to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, chief priests and scribes, be killed and be raised the third day. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Oh no, Lord, this will never happen to you. Peter actually rebuked Jesus. They were completely out of touch with reality. I want to point out that the church start the Christian church started out with unbelief. Jesus told them in plain language that he would rise again after three days, yet not one of them believed it. The women came to the tomb with ointments and spice to embalm him. If they believed, such an action would not have been necessary. The men hid themselves, afraid they might be next. These were all people who loved Jesus dearly, yet it was an unbelieving love. The remaining 11 disciples had seen his miracles of healing the blind and lame, had seen him walk on water and calm a raging tempest, even bringing the dead back to life, and had heard his words that rang with authority and power, yet there was no faith found among any of them. The last unbelief can still now be found in the church. People still have difficulty trusting God. Even people who love the Lord give their time and money, live humble lives of service to God. Even these can be found struggling to trust Him. Doubts give rise to fear. Perhaps God has forgotten me. When they hear that sin is always destructive, they think, not always so. When they hear that God expects their full surrender, they think, well, not full surrender. When they hear that uh, God's word should be an authority in our life, they think, well, only what I find useful. As the Bible says, if the Son of Man comes, shall he find faith upon the earth? Is faith more rare than we would like it to we would like to believe? Is it even rare among our church leaders? Far too many pastors have hindered spiritual growth from their own stubbornness. Far too many lay leaders have allowed carnality to develop unhindered in their hearts and discourage young Christians as well as resist honest efforts of the pastor. How rare is faith? How often do we see people read a verse, believe it, and take action accordingly? So many people say they believe in God. The Bible says that's good, and then says demons 
also believe. Belief is not faith. Faith is trusting in God, which includes trusting in His Word. If I sent you an email that said, your house will burn down tomorrow, I can't tell you how or why, but it will burn down tomorrow. And there's nothing you can do to stop it. If you trusted me and believed what I wrote, what I wrote was true, you would immediately begin removing your valuables from it. You might even call friends to help you as there would be a great deal of urgency. God wrote something to you. Would you trust it? Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. When he found one that was priceless, he sold everything he owned to obtain it. The kingdom of heaven is what we have with Christ. Do you really consider it? priceless. If not, if there is something or someone else you look to for hope and fulfillment in life, it's because you really don't trust God. Notice that in this chapter we see that there's a cure for unbelief. The cure is the reality of Christ's resurrection. It happened. And even 2,000 years later, we can be certain of that. Normally, as time goes by, the certainty of an event begins to dissipate. We become less certain of what really happened. I have trouble being certain of what I had for breakfast the day before yesterday. Not so with the resurrection. I love Chuck Colson's comment on this. Chuck Colson went to prison as a result of the Watergate scandal. And he had this to say, he'd go to prison and he ended up becoming a Christian and founded a prison ministry and did wonderful things after that, but God had to straighten him out first. He had this to say about the resurrection. He said, I know the resurrection is a fact. And the water, and Watergate proved it to me. How? Because 12 men testified they had seen Jesus raised from the dead. Then they proclaimed that truth for 40 years. Never once denying it. Every one of them was beaten, tortured, stoned, and put in prison. They would not have endured that if it were not true. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they could not keep alive for three weeks. And he continued, you're telling me 12 apostles could keep alive for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. The women, in their unbelief, faced an insurmountable difficulty. Who will roll away the stone? The stone is rolled away because, it's already rolled away because Jesus is risen. Problem solved. The cure for our, all our fear about difficulty lies in the fact that Jesus is risen. You serve a risen, a living Savior. 
difficulty does your unbelief create in you today? Do you struggle with sin? Jesus is risen, answers that. Do you have weak faith? Jesus rose from the dead. Does a great problem weigh heavy on your heart? The fact that Jesus is risen should bring you peace. If Jesus were dead, we would be living miserable lives, serving a dead Lord. But he lives and difficulties vanish. The comfort we have concerning all our trials is that Jesus lives. In this knowledge, let us give praise to God as, he, as we look at difficulties as things to be overcome and as opportunities to glorify God. Sometimes unbelief can come in the form of fear. The, the fifth verse in, in Mark tell, tells us the women were alarmed, and we see that they ran from the tomb trembling in, in the eighth verse. We can be afraid of a number of things. I have a phobia of roller coasters. Every time I get on one, I feel like I might die. It's not the height. Many times I've stood on the ramp in the back of a helicopter at 120 knots at 9,000 feet with nothing but open space in front of me and, and no problem at all. It's only roller coasters for some reason. Completely irrational. If I cared enough about it, I'd deal with it. But I, didn't, I don't care about it. Perhaps you have an irrational fear as well. Some people are scared of everything. I've known people who are hardly able to leave their house out of fear. But there are occasions of real rational fear that may cause us to tremble if we only had ourselves to rely on. If a Christian is scared, he is liable to do more harm than good. If you can remain calm in whatever situation you're in and confident in the Lord, you have won half the battle. If you can use the words of Moses, stand still and see the salvation of God, you will come out unscathed. The best cure for fear is the fact that Jesus is risen. Why should we be afraid when the King of kings and Lord of lords is our shepherd? Find comfort in Christ's words because I live, you shall live also. Or, I give unto my sheep eternal life and they shall never perish, neither shall any pluck them out of my hand. Why would you be afraid of anybody who is going to die? Rest in our Lord who said, Fear not, I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with the right hand of my righteousness. When you pass through the rivers, I will be with you. We don't cross a lot of rivers in our time, at least not on foot, not trudging through it like they used to. Crossing a river like that, like people did for thousands of years, is a precarious endeavor. 
it's very une- it's very easy to un- underestimate how fast a river is flowing. In fact, I lost a friend that way. It's difficult to determine how deep a river is. A crossing point could be infected with snakes. But the Lord tells us when we're going through a situation that makes us nervous, He will be with us. Lord, blood shall not overflow you. We can expect a certain, uh, certain amount of loss in our life. But we will never lose everything. We will certainly never be forced to lose God. We will not be forced to lose what really counts. C.S. Lewis once said, He who has God and everything has no more than he who has God and nothing else. I believe that to be true with my whole heart. I have had lots of things in my life, and I've had almost nothing. And I was just in, as content on one end as on the other because I had God. And if I had to, if I had to be fully honest, I think I was actually more content when I had less, less to worry about. Not you, less. That's true. I am happier when I have less. Yes. <laughs> she settled for less. How many of these jokes have you already heard many times? More or less. God sa- God said when you go through the fire you will not be burned. Life will not be always pleasant, right? When you go when you not if you go through the fire, when But when you do, what is of true value in your life will not come to harm. God continues, I am God, I change not. Therefore, sons of Jacob, you will not be consumed. You who are tempest-tossed and terrified, trembling, be quiet and let patience possess your souls Because Jesus lives. Notice that this chapter not only shows fear as a form of unbelief, but also amazement. The women were both afraid and amazed. They couldn't wrap their minds around it and it bothered them. The best way to get out of amazement is to hold fast to the simple truth we can understand. One truth has been proven better than other facts in history is the fact that Jesus is risen from the dead. He is alive. It's a bad idea to argue about any doctrine you are not certain about. We should first start out with what we do believe, what we are certain about. If you start with this simple truth that Jesus is alive, And see for yourself that it's true and you really see that you believe it and your actions follow through with that belief. They're in alignment with that belief. Everything else will fall into place. 
We believe that the Lord Jesus, who suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified and dead and buried, and on the third day rose again in flesh and blood, and now lives sitting on the right hand of God, reigning in exceeding power. Spurgeon said this about the doctrine of the resurrection. He said, this I know, and on this I rest. Notice that unbelief kept these women from doing their duty. For in verse 8, it says, they said nothing to anyone since they were afraid. This is something we still see today. Some are kept silent when they should speak up because of unbelief. Opportunities to share the gospel are lost because they've forgotten that Jesus lives. You might say people don't actually forget that, don't they? Would your life change if would your life change if Jesus moved next door to you? Let's say that happens. A moving truck arrives and it's Jesus. Like me, you'd probably want to spend all of your time with him, but we have a life to leave and he expects us to take care of business. So our time with Jesus is relegated to the morning and evening and, of course, Sunday. Would anything else change? Would we be more careful about our behavior, the way we dress, the entertainment we participate in? Would we call all our friends and even strangers that we meet on the street. We say, you won't believe it, but Jesus lives next door to me. We might even pay for a billboard down the street that says, Jesus, this way, two blocks. How different it might be if Jesus lived next door. But should that be the case? Isn't it true that Jesus lives and knows what's going on in our lives and even our thoughts? The difference in our behavior and our interest in sharing the gospel with others comes from this root cause, that we forget the reality that Jesus is alive. Notice that unbelief is also the cause of deep sorrow. In verse 10, we see that they were mourning and weeping, weeping for a dead Savior. He was gone, and all they could do was cry. In heaven, there was a great celebration going on. On earth, there was only grief due to unbelief. Spurgeon noted that it was very strange. We are no strangers to death. Lose a husband, a wife, a mother, a father, a child. Letting go of a close connection is difficult. I'm happy to say that so far, any funeral of a saint that I've attended did not have an overabundance of grief. Yes, there were tears, but soon the tears were replaced with smiles and the crying was replaced with laughter. This is a lot different than a funeral of one who does not know God. And I've attended those as well. I've officiated those. 
Why the difference? Because we know Jesus lives. And we can expect to live as well. I never cease to be amazed at the faith of the thief who hung next to Jesus. Here, Jesus and he are hanging together and their lives will be soon over. This guy is dying and and he's hanging next to Jesus who's also dying. And at some point, I don't know if he heard Jesus talk. We don't know the backstory at all. We don't know. We don't know if he heard, overheard Jesus say that his kingdom is not of this world. All we know is this thief turns to Jesus and says, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Despite what he was seeing, he believed. And it's no wonder Jesus looked at him and said, Today you'll be with me in paradise. As that thief took his last breath, pain surging through his body, he could not exhale, and he slowly suffocated until everything went black. At that moment, this man found himself with Jesus in paradise. Why? Because Jesus lives. O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? Why, when we carry our saints to their earthen bed, we, we do so not with great weeping, but with songs of hope and joy. Notice the results of Christ's resurrection. Because Jesus rose from the dead, He has commissioned us, you and me. In verse 15, Jesus said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. It's hard to get people excited about something. While I was in tech school in Virginia, we were there for a few months, and the pastor of the church, Missy and I were attending, asked me to facilitate an outreach program, help them create one and get it started. They, uh, he wanted to do that. And I, I agreed. I was happy to help. I came up with an idea and everybody thought, everybody in the church thought it was a great idea. Yet not one of them were interested in participating. Now I should have told the pastor It's not going to work without actual support and just less of that. So sorry, I tried to help you, but we need actual support from the people. But I was young and not experienced enough in such matters. I tried to inspire the people. I, I even spoke with a man privately attempting to win his support, only to find out later that He took offense at my attempt. Why was it so difficult? Because they forgot that Jesus lives. To them, the reality of the resurrection was just a mere doctrine. 
if they saw Jesus as a living, breathing man he is, I wouldn't have been asked to facilitate the outreach program in the first place. It would have already been going on. Spurgeon pointed out the most enthusiastic people in the church are those who know him, love him, live with him, and serve him. Jesus lives. He's not out of the fight. He's still very much a part of our lives. Knowing this, let's do everything for the honor and glory of Christ our King. And while we say to the sinner, believe and live, the Holy Spirit does His work and convicts, transforms, and brings to life. Each Christian converter is a miracle worker. Did you know that? Anyone who has led someone to the Lord has taken part in bringing a spiritually dead person to life. They are transformed. Their affections are changed. Their priorities altered. Spiritual truths begin to make sense. And it's a wonderful thing to behold. So we go and teach all nations and we see the results. The final result of Christ's resurrection I'll speak about today is the power we have in Christ. Jesus was always God and is now God and serves as a mediator for us. The power he holds is not to meant lie unused, but to empower us in the work he has given us. Notice in the last verse of the in the last verse of chapter 16, it says that the Lord was working with them. Jesus had already ascended and was fast at work in their ministry from the very beginning. We don't always see it, but Jesus is working. Perhaps you've spent many hours in prayer over a situation or a soul. Don't be discouraged. Jesus is on the job. If saving the world were left only to us, we would never accomplish it. We'd be an utter failure. Thank God it's not. But God does enlist our effort and works through us. Did you know I can lift 2,000 pounds? I need a little help from a carjack, but I can do it. We cannot live a victorious life on our own strength. But with God's help, what can't we do? Say goodbye to every discouraging thought. God is not defeated, nor can he ever be. He's still fighting and will win the war. Jesus is not a survivor. He's a conqueror. I'll close with the story that, that Charles Spurgeon shared. On October 19, 1856, tragedy struck at Surrey Gardens Music Hall where Spurgeon preached. He had become quite popular and thousands came to hear him preach. That night, 14,000 showed up to a facility designed for 10,000. Now someone may or may not have yelled fire, we're not sure. 
Nevertheless, crowds began surging toward the exits, and in the chaos, eight people died. As you might expect, it had a tremendous impact on Spurgeon. And here's what he had to say about it. I do remember when an hour of the most overwhelming sorrow through which a mind could pass, this one thing restored and comforted me. After that dreadful catastrophe in the Surrey Gardens, when my mind gave way and my sorrow was extreme, when I had almost lost my reason for some three weeks and was desponding and brokenhearted, I was alone walking in solitude, mourning and weeping as I did day and night, and on a sudden there came into my mind as though it dropped from heaven this text. Him hath God highly exalted and given him a name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. He said, you know the rest. The thought that came to my mind was this. I am one of his soldiers. And I am lying in a ditch to die. It does not matter. The king has won the victory. Christ has won the victory. Christ is the four. If I die like a dog, I care not. The crown is on his head. He is safely exalted. In a moment, I was happy. My trouble was gone. I found myself perfectly restored. I fell on my knees in a solitary place praising God who in infinite mercy had made that text to be a balm to my spirit. Now there may be someone here who feels as much as I did, brokenhearted, cast down. If you really love Jesus, there is not a nobler balm for your care than this. He reigns. He is glorious. The government is not taken from his shoulders. Our king is no captive. Our emperor has not yielded up his sword. Our prince imperial is not banished. Our empire never fails. The city of Jerusalem is not besieged. There should be no scarcity of bread in her streets. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her. And that right early let the heathen rage of the people and the nations be moved. Let the whole earth rock and reel and the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. God is our refuge and strength, our very present help in time of trouble. God reigns and the kingdom of Jesus is settled by an unchangeable decree. Then he finished with, therefore, lift your, up your heads, ye saints, for your redemption draws nigh. And even now, clap your joyful hands and go back again to the conflict of life until your master calls you home like true heroes. That henceforth shall know no fear and shall never turn your backs in the day of battle. God grant it may be so for his name's sake. Amen. And I also say, Amen. Let it be so. Let us stand. Well, that's all for today. I hope it was a blessing to you. I do have one more thing to add. Uh, I have recently published a book entitled Stop Poisoning Yourself. 
finding joy in all circumstances. Few of us realize the impact our, our thoughts have on our daily lives, how it impacts our emotions, our relationships, including our relationship with God. Uh, in this book, I, I go through this very short, easy to read book. I go through what the Bible says about it, how and what we can do uh, to eliminate poisonous thoughts in our lives. So, to, if you're interested, go check it out on Ken, uh, Amazon Kindle's website. You'll find it there. Just search for "Stop Poisoning Yourself" by Daryl Underwood.